and I think that um, comedy is is a wonderful thing and improv is a wonderful thing because it can take you out of where you are in life. Um, but I came to I came to a moment where like I couldn't exist and on this earth and and be destroying myself that way. And so I really had my own sort of reckoning when I was 30. Um, and I went into a clinic for for eating disorders. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hello, my name is Abby Schur, and um, I am a writer, performer, mom, olive enthusiast, and I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> and you're joining me on Sylvia and Me. <laughs> I love it. Abby, it's so nice to meet you. Um, you. I know you said you're, you're a mom um, and you're also an author and you're a comedian. In fact, you have a show that before the pandemic was a monthly show live, Chuckle Path Comedy Show with the hilarious Molly Reisner. Now you're doing it on, uh, you know, on Zoom or virtual <laughs> until we can get out there. Exactly. But um, I want to actually go into how you got into the comedy genre. What, what made you uh, do it? Was there something that happened in your childhood? Did you grow up funny, you know? It, it, oh, it was during your child, you know, childhood, which I just repeated. Why did you become a comedian? Um, I was not a funny kid. I was very shy. I was um, definitely attached to my mom's apron strings. She didn't wear an apron. Oh, sometimes she did, but you know the phrase. Um, I went to I went to University of Chicago, which um, is sort of like the home of improv where all the greats were started. Um, and there was an improv group there on campus. And I had a friend who uh, pushed me into trying out and it was really addictive, especially for somebody who like very, I was very rigid and very um, strict with myself. And then to be on stage and have no rules because improv is just making it up as you go along. Um, it was terrifying and exciting and um, and it led into, you know, I, then I was performing at Improv Olympic, which is a great theater out there. And then I got into Second City and I toured with them and I wrote shows and I performed with them for like five and a half years. That, question mark? Yeah, I would say five and a half years. Um, and, you know, like my first teacher was Amy Poehler. Like I had amazing, amazing people leading me and, and guiding me. Um, I got to be in the first all-female improv troupe in Chicago, which was just so dreamy. Um, yeah, and from there, it was just a wild, wild adventure. You know, first touring, 
and you know you tell you do the same scene in I don't know you do the same scene in Hawaii as you do in Spokane and then in um, Ohio uh, you know at university uh, at Ohio State University where there's like thousands and thousands of people and then you'll do a show for like 25 people it's just the most amazing experience um both just learning about people at large and I got to go to places I never would have gone to on my own and then um oh sorry no that's 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 amazing because as you said you grew up a very shy yeah uh, young girl and it's almost as if a lot of comedians are very shy people and it just allows, I mean, did you feel it just allowed you to open up or maybe be somebody else? How, how did it change your shyness? Did it change it in the real world or was it just something that came out when you did improv or you were performing? That's a great question. I, I still don't think like, I don't feel like I'm a social butterfly in any way. Um, I'm still socially awkward, but on stage, I was just saying this to one of my kids actually the other day, like I could perform in front of thousands of strangers and have a blast. But if you tell me that I'm performing in a small library for like five loved ones, I will be sick. I I will be like, no, 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 no. It can't be anyone I care about. So I really have to, um, I have to integrate it more into my life. I, I think I'm much more of a performer in my life now than I was as a kid for sure. But, um, yeah, I don't know that I'm always funny as a person. Does that make sense? Well, it's not just funny it's more um you know person who's shy because i know i've gone this i grew up a very very shy person um it's getting that out there to actually say okay i'm as good as anyone else and i can bring that personality and not have to kind of push it down um and be able to walk out there how you mentioned one of your children said something to you you have three children mm-hmm. i know the oldest is 12 then there's a seven-year-old and there's one in the middle yes um a 12 10 and seven okay mm-hmm. and are your children um shy when they see you perform do <laughs> they you know what do they think of mom performing well, sometimes, I mean, most of my performances actually are after they go to bed because they're not child friendly. Um, so not childproof, not childproof. I did do like a kid's show. I've done some kids shows and, um, and they love doing voiceovers and things. So they get excited when I get like an audition to be a cartoon character. They're like, wait, you could be SpongeBob's friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like, please, because it's going to pay for college if I get it. Um, They, I think that they take it in stride now. At first, they're like, that's a little weird. Um, Why can't you be a normal mom that shows up, you know, for carpool on time? (laughs) Um, 
but now I have like my, I have like a little thing of wigs and beards on my, uh, uh, in my office, my quote office, and they like, like coming in and trying them on. So I think they're getting used to the fact that they don't have your typical mom. Um, or else they're just accepting it for the moment. And I think that I'm, that's what plays into our life the most in terms of, um, I guess, going back to what you were saying, whether I'm still shy. I think improv is such a gorgeous art because it teaches, or well, it taught me at least, like just to put it all out there and not be precious about it. Like I have no problems um, giving 25 ideas for, uh, you know, a new project because I don't get attached to any of them. And if I do, then like, then I'll go make something on my own. But I think improv is really about not taking yourself too seriously and concentrating on whoever else is out there with you, whether it's on stage or in life or wherever you are, we all have to improvise. At least that's my philosophy. Well, I think as women, we we have to improvise because we have to, on a dime, be able to uh, deal with situations that come up all, all, all the time. Exactly. You never know what's going to hit you next. Right. And especially when you're raising three children. Um, getting, uh, staying on that uh, vein for just a minute, have you found any difference between uh, being a woman and being accepted into this particular industry, into improv, as opposed to when uh, a male does it? Um, I think it's changed a lot. As I said, I, have, I was in the first all-female troupe um, and it, improv was just like really a bunch of white guys. Um, making jokes with each other and then you would have like you would have teams or groups and you would have like seven guys and one girl and they'd be like look at that diverse group um and it's really changed now but what I do think is um is a huge reckoning is realizing how many of these comedic theaters were um were not diverse in terms of race or ethnicity or religious background I mean it was like a lot of white male dominated, um, you know, whether it was not so much the administration, but the people performing and getting hired. And now like in every industry, I hope we're all having a reckoning of like, hey, this we're it's all the same people. We actually need to put all faces out there and, and accept all people as being hilarious or artistic or this or that. Okay, um, so I wanna go on to what you've done next. Now, mind you, I don't know whether it was concurrent. I know now <laughs> it probably is concurrent, but uh, you're, you've written a number of essays for uh, the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post, um, self, Jane, um, L, um, Modern Love. In fact, uh, one of them was adapted for the television series, Modern Love. You've also written five books. And as much as they're 
really, um, a lot of people would say they're geared toward the YA, the young adult community. They really are, as we talked about before, transgenerational. They go across all generations. And what's interesting is one of them that just recently uh, was released is Miss You, Love You, Bye. Um, miss You, Love You, Hate You, Bye. I'm yeah. sorry, mm -hmm. I, I don't have my glasses on. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's called a comic novel, which is, uh, it's about friendship and mental health, which is huge. In fact, uh, BuzzFeed named it uh, a best book for Mental Health Awareness Month, which I believe is in May. So writing something like that, which talks about a young teenager, a 16-year-old teenager who is really destroying herself and her friend who is trying to help her. One, what got you writing on that subject? And um, how do you even deal with something like that? Um, I think most of my writing is autobiographical in some way. So all my characters are some part of me. And while I was performing, um, you know, I was dealing with a lot of these mental issues. I was dealing with the eating disorder and I was, um, and another book that I've written, All the Ways the World Can End, is really about this character who's much like me, who is very, um, severely obsessive compulsive and like planning for the end of the world. And I think that um, comedy is, is a wonderful thing and improv is a wonderful thing because it can take you out of where you are in life. Um, but I came to, I came to a moment where like I couldn't exist and on this earth and, and be destroying myself that way. And so I really had my own sort of reckoning when I was 30. Um, and I went into a clinic for, for eating disorders. And, uh, and that's where I really started writing. I mean, I'd been writing my whole life, but I think that's where I really found solace in writing and writing some of the dark stuff that I was too scared to say. And I think that um, writing physically is one of the most therapeutic things in, in the world. Like really, I have to have a big pen and I have to have, you know, a notebook. I can have it lined or unlined at this point, but I have to write uh, by hand. Everything that I write, I have to write by hand and I have to write, you know, at least a list a day. Um, and that was one of the ways that I got through a really hard time um, I finished, um, I finished at Second City or like, you don't really, you don't graduate. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, we can give you a ceremony. Like, exactly. Well, there is actually really fun. The last night you get a pie in the face and you do this. Whole, it's very, very fun. Um, and I left and kind of like went straight into treatment and, then when I was in treatment, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I got home like five days before she died. And 
Um, and I was just in no shape to be going to auditions or be, you know, putting on makeup for that matter or uh, trying to make something funny on stage. And I signed up for a class in personal essays. I didn't know what a personal essay was. Um, and I just had an amazing supportive teacher who just gave me great prompts and great guidance. And I just found that it was really, really helpful to me to start putting some of these experiences on the page. Um, well, you know, one of the things you just said was the fact that a pen and a paper and I know that, I know for me, that makes such a big difference. Um, sure, computer can be faster, but for some reason, thoughts come out more and more creatively to a lot of people when taking pen to paper and not fingers to a, a computer. Yeah, I still don't know how to type like like how they teach you and. I, I didn't learn it in, in high school. I never learned it. I packed and I, I still do all my books that way. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even for those who know how to use a computer, uh, <laughs> who know how to, how to do more than packing, um, actually writing the words down mm -hmm. is, can be almost freeing more so than taking something that is a, you know, it's a thing. It's a computer. Yes, it can correct your spelling and whatnot, but sometimes it puts the wrong words in because it right. just assumes. That's not what I meant. <laughs> so um, when writing, especially a, a, a book like this, this would be something that you would want not only young adults to read, but older adults, parents, teachers, because it tells the story and that it's okay not to be okay, that having a friend, how does a friend actually jump in and, and, and help their friend in need? You said you you got yourself, you forced yourself, you realized you were in crisis, you needed treatment, and you had the, um, I would say chutzpah, you had the, the, what it took to go in to do it yourself. A lot of people don't. Um, have your children read this book? They have not read this book. Um, my 12-year-old I, I will probably give it to my 12-year-old soon. My 12-year-old is not as avid a reader as my 10-year-old. I'm quite sure my 10-year-old has like snuck peeks at it a lot more <laughs> than my 12-year-old. Um, uh, and I do, well, also I want to say I didn't have the chutzpah by myself. I had some friends that were dragging me there. <laughs> um, and... And I think that that's part of the inspiration for the book is that you that there's no right way to do it. There's no a right way to be a best friend, and there's no um, there's no right way to hit rock bottom or whatever you know whatever you think is going to be rock bottom. Um, and I love writing for this age or, or these ages because I think you can open up. I think when you're a young adult 
you're like just on the precipice of either pushing open a door or closing a door of vulnerability and honesty. And I mean, it's so hard. It's just such a hard age. Um, and if you have a book that can speak to you and you can read it with your mom or you could, you could have a book club, it just, it could speak volumes for, for you. You know, if I, if I thought that somebody I knew was not treating themselves well or getting into really bad um, territory with eating or drugs or whatever, it would be so much easier or I shouldn't say easy, but I think it would be so much more helpful to say like, hey, this book spoke to me maybe we could talk about it instead of having an intervention and saying, you know, I think that you have a problem. Um, so I guess it's like the book that I wanted to read. <laughs> okay. It is something that is a useful uh, book for teenagers. And as I said, the adult community on figuring out how to deal. And I love what you just said, which is, you can give someone the book and say, look, this, this helped me. I saw things in here. Maybe this could help you and we'll sit and we'll talk about it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a really nice way of basically intervening mm -hmm. and, and, and helping without telling someone you're doing, you're doing so bad. How can you do this? And, and so on. Um, Going off just a little bit, you've written essays. I know a number of your essays have been published in the New York Times in their opinion. And one in particular caught my eye. It was on parenting and heart attacks. And there's a little blurb in there that says, uh, where you uh, ask anything I should know before I go home? Yes, the chief cardiologist trying not to sound terrified. The answer was, just don't lift stuff over 10 pounds for a few weeks. And the reply was, my baby is over 10 pounds. It kind of gets into the whole reality of what we as mothers, um, females are supposed to do. And yet it makes no sense in right. some of the things that we're supposed to do. I mean, you're not supposed to lift something over 10 pounds because of something that might be wrong. Uh, yet, what are you supposed to do? You have a baby that weighs over 10 pounds. Babies weigh over 10 pounds real fast. Yeah. So um, what other situations have you discovered or have been brought to your attention where uh, you know, we're, we're told to do something and yet it's, it's absurd because there's no way we can, we can follow that advice. Wow. That's a really good one. Um, well, I think one of the things that uh, I'll start with some, something that happened to me recently, I had a number of crazy medical issues this year, um, that involved my lady parts and, um, <laughs> And I found myself in an ER trying to explain to all male nurse, all male nursing staff, um, like you don't understand, I'm losing a lot of blood, <laughs> and I I still have trouble saying you don't understand. So it was more like I'm sorry, you know, 
I really could use some help here. And then having to give myself a pep talk, like, no, you deserve to be seen by a doctor right now. You are actually in a life-threatening situation where it might be blood that they don't understand because it's coming out of my lady parts, but you need to see a doctor now. You're just as important as the next person. Um, and that was a really, that was a fascinating experience because I had to, I basically, I had a biopsy and it um, went awry and I hemorrhaged four times. Um, and explaining that to different people and also explaining like, I actually know something about my own body. I'm, I, I have an intuition into my own body and I've been in this body for a long time and I can vouch for it that these things are that are happening are not not normal for me. Um, I think advocating, especially in medical issues, has been hard for me because I've faced a lot of them um, and been really surprised because I feel fine. And then it'll be, you know, in the case of the heart attack, especially. Um, and also advocating for like, you might need to explain this to me and tell me to calm down because I, as a person, am anxious. And it's okay for me to say that because if I hide it, it's not gonna go away. So making that okay for myself. And if that makes it okay for you, great. But if not, I, I'm not in charge of your feelings about my anxiety. <laughs> like, you might be the doctor that has to explain it three times so that I calm down. Um, and just the other day, you know, the report came out about Johnson and Johnson and I have had, I have a stent in my heart. So I saw that and I wrote to my um, specialist and I said, I know I'm not getting Johnson and Johnson and due to get the second dose in, of Moderna next week. I just would like you to tell me that I'm okay. <laughs> and he wrote back and he's like, you are okay. I got Moderna. You can go get your shot. It's so much, it's taken me 40 blah, 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 years to figure out that like, that's not a bad thing to just ask. That's you know. the thing as women specifically, we have a hard time asking women in, in, you know, over so much time, um, have really are supposed to know certain things and not know other things. And we're, we're allowed to ask. And the thing is, we do know our bodies. We've lived in them longer than whoever is trying to tell you something and advocating for yourself is huge. And it's a great message because we don't do that mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. We look at the people who are supposed to be the professionals and go, okay, all right, I'll accept that. Um, I have questions, but if I question them, they're going to think I'm just this neurotic woman who's, who's trying to put down what they know. And so I guess your message to women is it's yeah speak your mind and 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 
own that you are feeling however you're, you're feeling blank you're feeling angry you're feeling anxious you're feeling confused um there is no there's no glory in saying yes i'll take this treatment because you as a doctor looking at these five charts think that i need it um because a chart is not a person and you're in your body and you right. and so you know like if you give me that, I'm going to be nauseous. Or if you, um, if I go into this procedure without really knowing what you're taking out of my body, I'm, I'm not going to be a good patient. <laughs> you know, there's, I think it's been really, really helpful to just voice my opinion. And I'm still learning. Um, I try not to make demands, but if the demand if the issue is something like, no, actually I'm bleeding and I need some attention, then I deserve to say that. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> and you do. And mm-hmm. you did. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it, it is for a lot of us a learning curve mm-hmm. because the intimidation could be there and you don't want to, at least with me, sometimes it, I, I don't want to put someone on the wrong side of, you know, if they're the one who's going to be taking care of me. But right. I learned a long time ago, you have to speak out. The intimidation is because of how we're feeling. It's not so much that they're doing it. Right. As much as we think that they're an intimidating figure. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, before we leave, I want to quickly, you have... Uh, a new book that came out. Um, well, the book that we talked about just came out this year, I believe, February. Uh, it came this out February like- 2020. Oh, okay. All right. And you have a book called Sanctuary. Yeah. That came out in September of 2020. Mm-hmm. It was. You want you want to briefly talk about that? Oh yeah, it's. Um, I'm very excited about this one. It was the first one I co-authored. Uh, with an amazing woman named Paola Mendoza. She's one of the founders of the Women's March. And she does um, sh- uh, she does incredible work speaking to immigrants and uh, getting their stories and helping them um, get to safety. Um, and it's a fairly, well, it was supposed to be futuristic, but it's very close to today now, um, world where everyone has an identification chip and there is, um, there's an undocumented girl who is caught by the deportation force. And I'm sorry, her mom is caught by the deportation force and she has to get herself and her brother to safety. It was a fascinating experience because, um, I felt like I was learning as I was writing, just learning about the the world that is actually around us right now and all the 11 million undocumented immigrants who are around, who are in our midst and are probably many people that we know and, um, and how living in, in a world as today, there's so many people who are fearing for their safety and for their lives just because of where they were born and it makes no sense and it's so inhuman and it's um it's not history it's current events 
So that was a really meaningful project and we are working on um, securing the movie deal for it, which I'm very excited about. And we're working on the next book in the series. Um, so it's been really fun to collaborate with her and fascinating, fascinating stories. Well, Abby, um, I thank you for being so candid and um, what a great conversation. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, my website, I'll yeah. try to update it. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, www.abby-sher.com. And I know you're on social media because I saw you on Instagram with your yeah, children. Instagram. That's a good one. Abby Sure at Abby Sure. Abby, again, thank you so much. This has been a very, um, very inspiring thank conversation. You. Very inspiring. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Join me next week when I talk to another extraordinary, inspiring woman. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.